Greetings and welcome to Dead for Filth. I'm your host, Michael Verratti, and this is the podcast for all things queer horror and beyond. It's our first episode of 2019, and I couldn't be more excited to kick off the new year with a guest who has made an impact in the world of pop culture as a power producer and host, and whose work has rocked the digital world and beyond. As a host and creator of Dark Five, she's covered some of horror's most chilling countdowns, and in the wrestling space, she's lent her voice to such shows as Best of the Rest and WWE Lucha Underground. She currently serves as one of the creative forces behind the genre-defying Gamma Ray TV. Please welcome to the show, power producer and host and icon, Rachel Evans. <laughs> oh my God! Can I hear that every single day? Uh, you know, if uh, I will send you a clip. Please, I'm just going to repeat. That's my mantra now. That whole thing is my new morning mantra. Well, you know, that's to me the way we ought to kick off the new year with some empowerment. That's exactly correct. Uh, welcome. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you here. I know that we're going to have a lot to talk about. Mm. Um, and I'm so excited that you're my first guest of uh, 2019. This it's is- an honor. Um, so why don't we just kick things off, uh, start this show the same way I start every show with the same first question I ask every guest. And it is simply this. Why horror? And you can interpret that however you want. Why uh, is horror personal to you? Why do you think it relates to people? Uh, what's the appeal? But why horror? I think horror is the most human thing in the world. It's it's. Um, I think the most interesting parts of humanity are the parts that you don't look at or the parts that you don't present because humans are very presentable. They like to present themselves in a way that's palatable for other people. And horror takes that away from you and makes you look at the thing, which is just kind of like rotting flesh right. generally. Um, and that's what I always appreciated about it is that it always felt the most real to me, even if it's, you know, House of a Thousand Corpses, which is obviously not, well, to some people it might be real, but to me, not my reality. But when I look at that, I see humanity in it in a weird way. Interesting. Um, I just, I get so, I'm, I'm from the South and like there's a lot of bless her hearts and a lot of pretense there mm-hmm. and i get so frustrated with it because i can't see through it i don't like sarcasm i don't like i, I don't i don't like pretense and so like if i can't see through it i disengage um and for horror they don't do any of that it's just like right in your face all of the time and i understand that for some reason my brain it's comfortable for my brain it sounds to me like one of the things you really like about it is it, it kind of challenges the norm. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, but I like that you say it, it, it's sort of the anti-pretense. Yeah. And that's that's an interesting take. I think that, you know, a lot of times when we talk about the draw of horror is it, it is sort of this dark mirror that we hold up to society. But in a way, through the monsters and the otherness, the, we're actually seeing probably more of ourselves. And so I, what I really like about your answer is that at the core, you like horror because of authenticity. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the type of horror I like, too, I think, is <clears throat> reflective of that. Like, my favorite movie is Freaks. Oh, okay. Um, and I had never seen humans like that before. Mm-hmm. And just to know that humanity like that existed and it was never presented to me. Like I saw that movie, I think when I was like 13 years old and the fact that I had gone through life for 13 years, not knowing that people like this existed was really disappointing to me. And I was, it's just, it's a brave medium that shows you the things that you maybe don't want to see. Right. But I think, yeah, I I totally get that. And I think that what it also does is it challenges us to consider views outside of ours. Yeah. And I I really think that when you talk to people, and I'm sure that you get this a lot, uh, when people are like, oh, how can you like that? Mm -hmm. Whereas I think that horror tends to be more honest. 
And you can utilize it to sometimes explore things that the world doesn't want to talk about. Right. And I don't know, you know, there are so many, for a genre that's still treated somewhat like the black sheep, um, that's kind of what I prefer to see in my art, is something that that gives me a little truth. Yeah, I mean, like... If I need a coping mechanism, if I need a coping mechanism, I'll smoke weed. Right. I don't need to watch It's a Wonderful Life. You know, like that showing me a fake story about fake. I mean, they're all fake stories. I get that. That's what movies are. I understand right. that. Like, I know that. But showing me like a happy, nice story with like a nice moral ending is very good. And it, it feels good in the moment. Um, but I, I don't take anything away from it. Like, right. I don't leave. I don't leave challenged, like you said. Yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit about your origin story. You Ooh. said you're from the South. Um, obviously, now you have really kind of made a place for yourself in the world of media as as uh, as a voice and uh, as somebody uh, who really is out there and you know the, the audiences respond to. But that all starts somewhere. So. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about uh, the Rachel before all of this and, and what led to this path. God, I've lived so many lives. It's insane. Um, yeah, so I grew up in Texas and Texas is a very weird place. I think that a lot of people think about Texas and they think about like, yeah, Texas Ranger, Chuck Norris, like whatever. Right. But Texas is grimy and it is dark and a lot of people collect bones and dig holes and there's a lot of carny stuff and that's kind of the environment that I grew up in my parents are very open and accepting um, and kind of allowed me to explore anything I wanted to and so at a young age I would say like at 16 I started working at this dive bar um, that later was burned down by the owner for insurance money oh very cool Um, but it was (laughs) this group of people called noise house that I hung out with, they were all like probably like 21 to 40 and I was 16 and they were dominatrixes and uh, body body modifiers, hard to say, Uh, artists and all these alternative lifestyle people that I was learning from and seeing like they loved each other so authentically more than I had ever seen with anybody. You know, all the cheerleaders and all the people that I went to school with, all the like nice, kind, lovely humans that you would want to take to the party I had not seen that kind of authenticity as I had with Noise House. And they loved each they loved each other so deeply and like so aggressively that um <laughs> that that really resonated with me and I was like, "Oh, like you can freak love is a thing." Right. Um and so that kind of shaped a lot of my mindset and the way that I view people and relationships and whatever. Um and then I lost it. I like I went to Chicago. I I went to school in Chicago. Initially, I went for theater and then I looked at everybody else and they were better than me. And so I quit theater. Right. And I pursued television production, went came to L.A. Um, I was working in representation. I worked at a man, a very large management firm and then I worked at an agency and then I worked in international sales and acquisitions until finally like I was in an Uber one day and um this I saw a WrestleMania badge on this guy's what is this called? Oh like the little yeah the windshield. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
it's like English is not my first language. I don't know. Um, but uh, so I saw that. We started a conversation about wrestling. He's like, oh, my God, you're a woman and you know about wrestling. You got to come with me. I'm a cam op for the show. And so that completely random happenstance led me into becoming a professional wrestle professional wrestling after show host. And I did that for many years. But um, throughout, I was always fascinated with the macabre. Um, I I collect like tools I have like a 1920s European lobotomy needle and stuff like that yeah I collect I collect stuff like that and so it's always just been a passing interest and then through this work um I ended up being approached with the opportunity to create a channel about anything I wanted right so I decided to create a channel called snarled for um it was a platform for female creators and it's was my channel so they're like you can kind of do whatever you want and I was like well what I want is to talk to 13-year-old girls because that's the demographic for the channel. It's like what I want is to talk to 13-year-old girls and let them know that their dark thoughts are fine and normal and that other people feel the way that they feel um, and other women who look like them. That's the thing too is that like it's easy enough to – there's a bunch – on YouTube, there's a bunch of these are the top five most horrifying haunted houses. You know that right, guy's absolutely. voice. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there's a ton of those, but I didn't see me. Like I, I kept not seeing me, and that was such a constant throughout life. Like that's why I clung onto Noise House, like I did, because I saw myself in these in these people. Um, and so I was like, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna I'm gonna be the person that these little girls can look at and be like, Hey, that's me too, and I can be successful and be happy. And uh, not, you know, be cons- I have a great relationship with my parents. Like, you can have all these things and also be interested in these kind of dark, twisted uh, things. And so, yeah, I started Dark Five, which is a listicle-style show about all things macabre. So right. true crime, cults, true horror, horror in general, all of that. Um, yeah. And then I did that for a while and then kept... Kept doing it. Kept doing it. <laughs> so let's let's uh, that that's uh, it's a lot. It's just a lot, but it's a, it's a pretty good, concise overview of, of your journey. Mm-hmm. And so there are l- little points in there that I want to hit upon. Um, and I think the first being kind of that moment when you're in that Uber and the guy's like, "Oh, you're a woman who likes wrestling." <laughs> that kind of befuddlement that oh, girls can like this too. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that's something that you have been contending with your entire career. But before we even get into that whole politics of it all, uh, let's just talk about your history with wrestling. Because, you know, I know that uh, this is something you've been interested in a really long time. And I'm also very interested, uh, a while back when we had filmmaker BJ Colangelo on the show, uh, BJ is also very interested in the world of professional wrestling, insofar that she and her... uh, Production partner Zach Schildwachter made a horror movie called Power, Power Bomb. Bomb. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things I talked to BJ about was the sort of interesting theatrical crossover between the world of horror and professional wrestling. And so I'm sort of interested in your take on that, too. Do you think there is a correlation between your interests in both of those things? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's a carny mindset is what it is. And mm-hmm. like, I think a lot of people will hear that word, especially people involved in wrestling and see it as a negative thing because it connotates a lot of like shiftiness and um, whatever, what have you. But to me, it's an otherness that it's God, I mean, it's to me, it's so inherently connected, like beyond just the carny nature of it. You it's the suspension of disbelief and also these 
exaggerations of truths. Like in wrestling, there's a face and a heel. There's a good guy and a bad guy. It's good versus evil. You have Undertaker, who's the undead. Like wrestling from the beginning of time, wrestling time, or even time, really, you sure, know, yeah. has utilized fear and horror and um, that feeling that it gives you to elicit reaction. And that's the thing about professional wrestling that I think a lot of people don't understand. The point is not who wins. The point is to elicit reaction. And that's what horror is. I mean, the point is not, is it a bad guy? Is it a good guy? Is she going to die? Who lives? It's the feeling, the anticipation and the release of that anticipation. It's the feeling that it gives you. And so, yeah, in that way, they're completely related. And I also... I think there's a stigma around both of them. Professional wrestling, if you tell somebody you're a fan, they'll always give you that, <laughs> oh, you know? Right. So um, the stigma surrounding something will connect you to that thing forever. Right. Um, yeah, and so I think that people feel like it's a group of outsiders coming together to be to like share their freak love together. Oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and so... I'm also interested because, you know, you said that you tried theater and felt that it wasn't for you. Mm-hmm. And then when you came here, you were sort of uh, working behind the scenes and representation. And then this one day, this conversation kind of altered the course. Yeah. Uh, did you ever think that, you know, being in front of the camera, being the host in the way that you were would be uh, the way that you are? Is, is, is Would have been uh, the path that you were going to take? Or did you just... No. I mean, ever? Yes. When I was a kid, like when people used to ask me what I wanted to be, I would say Oprah. That was what I always wanted to be was Oprah. I mean, I kind um, of like I, I think we all want to be Oprah a little absolutely. bit. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But that I thought it was a job. Like I right. was like, well, it is a job. But to me, that was my Superman. That was my firefighter. I want to be Oprah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so growing up, I that was everything I could dream of. And then I lost it. You know, when people tell you you're fat or like you're not good enough or whatever, you lose that. Right. Um, I didn't know that I could have the job that I have. I didn't know I could be doing the things that I'm doing professionally. Right. Um, and that's why it's so important to me to be representative on every platform in every way because I didn't know that means somebody out there probably doesn't know as well. Right. Um, I talked to my mom about the pictures I post on Instagram a lot because obviously she has some problems with some of them. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But she understands that like the point for me is that there is a little Rachel out there who doesn't know that she can be great too and she can love the things that she loves. And like that's so inspiring for me. So let's let's uh, I was going to talk to you a little bit about this, but since you brought it up, um, you you do frequently uh, post challenge that I think uh, post uh, content on Instagram and Twitter that I I think is not only good representation, but also I think pushes you mm. like recently you did uh, a, a basically a nude photograph series. Completely not, not, not nude. Basically, yeah. But yeah, <laughs> it was completely nude. Uh, and I, I'm just interested, like, how important is it for you to push those? boundaries and do you know that it's worth doing when you're scared if I'm scared to me it's the most worth doing um I kind of get off on it like I kind of like the feeling of like oh my god my coworkers are gonna see my boobs (laughs) like there's something in that that excites me um but that's a super small reason why the super super small part of the reason why I do it I I know it's important. And like, 
it feels dumb kind of to say that because who am I? Like, what am I? Who right. cares? And every time I have that thought, I look back at my comments and I look back at the people who are commenting and the people who are affected by it. Mm -hmm. And I realize that, like, if three people care, then somebody cares. If one person cares, then somebody cares. Um, I, I get scared all the time when I post. I don't – I'm not, like, this – force of nature like I'm not confident all the time I, I I feel fear and I feel I feel uneasy sometimes about how much I'm willing to put out there and I right. question myself as well because like I'm not going to be a YouTuber forever you know right. and I have to remember that like these decisions I'm making now and these things that I'm choosing to present to the world right now will shape my future and the fact that th there is no future, like the future does not exist. So why am I in fear of it? <laughs> like, right. why do I cow? Why am I in fear of something that literally I I decide I make that decision if I go to a con and I, by the way, have never been negatively approached by my pictures in a professional way. Right. Because I work. Most people who know about my stuff don't know that I work in the business part of entertainment as well. And I produce a lot. I would say 80% of my job is behind the camera and they've it, it's, I've never had anything but support. And so right. any fear comes from myself, but that just proves to me that I need to do that because if I feel that and I'm getting constant validation, like constantly there are 13 year old girls emailing me and DMing me that right. I am their mother and goddess and everything to them. And I don't feel that. I don't feel that way. Right. Um, so there has to be somebody who just feels fear about posting a picture of their face. Right. So if my tits can help you, then great. <laughs> <laughs> well, think about it, too, like from the perspective of us when we were kids. Yeah. Like when you are a little gay kid growing up in Ohio or, you know, you only see one kind of woman in the media or there are no people representing your community, whether you're a person of color or like, you know, a religion that's not Christianity in America or whatever. Uh, how important it is to see that representation because it's terrifying i think probably more to our generation because we didn't have the people to do it we're the ones doing it yeah and it's but imagine how valuable that would have been i remember going uh to rent like movies that had gay characters in them just because i needed to see it were they good not always but it was just like i needed that yeah and like what what's unfortunate for I think for us <laughs> is that we had representation it just wasn't good right like you never saw a fat girl you never saw a sexy fat girl like right. she might have been sweet and a loving mother or mm -hmm. funny best friend or you know good for the story but you never saw a fat girl who was confident in her own body and who didn't need who wasn't chasing a man right and it was just comfortable and confident and like I wish I had that more than anything I wish I had Ashley Graham right when I was a kid but we didn't and we kind of still don't I mean you know with body representation we have a long way to go right like diversity in media diversity in rep in 
entertainment has come a long way. It's tenfold come a right. long way. But almost any movie, almost any TV show you see, you will not see a fat girl. Mm-hmm. You won't see a fat. Eh, well, that's not true. Fat guys are funny and whatever. But that's a that's also a trope that right. like, why can't a fat guy be sexy? Like me and my ex uh, used to talk about this all the time because he is an actor and his whole thing, he was larger at the time. He's much skinnier now, but he was larger at the time. And his whole thing was that he he wanted to be a leading man right. like he wants to be the love interest he wants to he wants to be that and his representation kept on telling him no that's not what you're gonna get and he's like well that's what i'm gonna make for myself right and he did and so that's i saw that and it was inspiring to me and i feel that same way like yeah like yeah i have a fupa and you i can be sexy in that and i can own it and i can walk into the room fupa first and it's fine it doesn't ma- i don't need to compensate right and be funny because I look this way, I wish there. I wish there were more fat girls on TV. Honestly, I 100% agree. Because you see, you see one specific body type get represented over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. That does have an impact on younger viewers. So it's like we need everybody out there to show that the world is more than just this. Yeah, and I think body representation in all forms is really important. Like I remember seeing Wonder Woman and on that island and all the women were just these strong wonderful like sexy ah, god like that i want to see more of that and i think that's also why i like professional wrestling right because i a hero of mine growing up was china oh yeah like to me she was she was a goddess and then quickly realized when i said that out loud to people who didn't watch wrestling that i was wrong because her body was wrong and so in my head i was like well i guess I guess I can't like what I like. I can't I can't be what I am. I'll just be nothing. But see, this is why I think what you're doing out in the world uh, is so important because you had people telling her, telling you that her body was wrong and you mm-hmm. felt shame for liking her yeah. for that reason. But now you're out there with your various platforms saying her body isn't wrong and you should like and love what you love because we're all valid and worthy of love. And we need people like you, Rachel, out there doing that because it's so important. Thank you for saying that. And, you know, I think about, you know, this this conversation came about by the discussion of the Instagram photos. But even in, in that conversation, you said, well, I'm not going to be a YouTuber forever. But you were able to look at the YouTube medium when you were first offered that opportunity to create Snarled. And you were like, how can I curate a discussion that I'm not seeing? Because I've worked in the YouTube space as well. And, you know, and this isn't to disparage it at all, but there was a very specific kind of content that was being made for a very specific demographic for so very long. It was like daily vlogging with like cute twinky white guys Mm -hmm. or like beauty vloggers or whatever. And I'm I'm just all about anybody who can look at a medium and say, what is this lacking? And goes out there and makes it happen. Thank you. And I I think it takes a certain amount of anger. You know, (laughs) I think it takes a certain amount of resentment, which is, you know, to be to be frank is awesome. And it fuels me a lot of the time. Like when I don't want to post the thing, I post it anyway because I'm I know that somebody's going to hate it, which fuels my intent to do it more. Right. Um, But it's also really taxing, you know, to constantly be fighting even you're creating stories within yourself. Right. Like, I, it, it's really a double-edged sword because, like, 
I've created this warrior character of Rachel Sam Evans in my mind, but Rachel Evans looks at her and is like, how do I be Rachel Sam Evans? But I I am that, but I don't feel that. It's, It's a constant struggle, and I think that for me, it's not about being strong all the time. It's not about being beautiful. It's not about being sexy all the time. It's about being authentic about what I'm going through and kind of what... And I'm trying to do that more. And honestly, I've taken I've taken these past couple months um, with those photos specifically. Those challenged me in a way that I haven't been challenged before because I didn't like a lot about those pictures. Right. You know, there's a lot. I, I look at that and I see things that I'm like, oh, no, I can't post that. They can't know that that's what that looks like. Right. They can't know that I have stretch marks and that, you know, I'm not. You know, when you when you take a picture for Instagram, it's very easy to pose. Right. And I've done that for a long time. And even though like, you know, I I am a bigger girl and that might be representation, it's still fake. Right. And so that photo set really challenged me to be authentic with the people who look to me to be authentic. And I realized that in that moment, like they don't need me to be perfect. They Mm -hmm. need me to be a human. And if that means that like I don't like myself in this moment, that's okay. Right. As long as they know that that's not where the buck stops. Like I think for so many people, I don't like myself becomes the story that you tell yourself over and over and over again to where there's no chapter two. That's right. where the story ends. So I, yeah, I, I'm trying 2019 is my, that's my resolution is to be more inclusive of myself. Like every part of myself, if I don't like something, if I don't look great, if my lipstick isn't overdrawn and you don't think that my lips are as big as I, I want them to be, then like, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay to stand naked in the rain for a little bit. That's. <laughs> I mean, that really should be everyone's mission statement in 2019. <laughs> stand naked in the rain yeah, for a little bit? Yeah, go stand naked in the rain for a little bit. That's what I'm trying to do. Find your center. Yeah. <laughs> and it's also okay to like, for me, this is literally just me telling myself this, right. but it's okay to like want love. It's right. okay to want want to be accepted by somebody or want to be loved by somebody as long as they understand that that all comes, that's all insular work. That right. all comes from the inside. So, and like, I think that hor- like to bring it back to horror in a way, right. I think that my interest in horror is that's part of it too, is that like when I talk about serial killers, I do my best to try to, I do my best to try to say, hey, like, it's okay to be grossly fascinated in these things. It doesn't make you a bad person. Right. But also, like, the trouble in that. You have to, like, convince 13-year-olds that Jeffrey Dahmer is not their idol. Like, right, right. that's a huge problem that I have. Yeah, I can totally get that. And with uh, with Dark Five, specifically, yeah. a, a lot of the work that you do on that show, as you said, is uh, it's it's listing things within specific topics. Yep. And some of them uh, are uh, true crime and uh, darker material. Have you ever gone down a rabbit hole while doing Dark Five where you're like, wow, maybe this is even too much for me? Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. All, all the time. I mean, the deeper you go, the more you want to challenge yourself. Right. Um, I did an episode. I think the worst thing I've ever seen was well, a couple of them. I did an episode about fame killers. Okay. And um, that means people who kill for fame. And uh, I did one on Luca Magnata. Magnat. Yeah, that's it. Uh, who is a very beautiful gay man from 
Canada who wanted to be a celebrity. He tried out for a bunch of reality shows and all of them were like, you're gorgeous, but so creepy. Right. Um, and so he decided to take to the Internet and film himself murdering somebody and post it to Reddit over and over and over again. And so I saw that and it was the worst thing I've ever seen. And then I did an episode about the deep web or dark net, whatever right. you want to call it. And the stuff that I saw on there, I can't, I definitely can't unsee for sure. Um, one of the tamer ones was this, it's like a game and I don't even want to say the name of it because people are going to go look for it. Right. Um, and it's a game where you're in a mental asylum and it's a click through game and you're going through the asylum and it's all found footage and found audio. So you go into a door, like you click on a door, you enter the door and there's real audio from people from like, yeah, it's it's not like cropsy stuff, like not right. not good mental health institutions, right. you know, so you hear these like you hear torture mm -hmm. and you hear screaming and you hear and you see children. It's bad. It was so bad. Um, yeah, that was probably the worst thing I've seen in the murder. Obviously, that's bad. <laughs> well, because, uh, you know, we like to to bring it around to something positive. What are sure. your favorite Dark Five episodes? Well, honestly, every time I do an episode about a serial killer, I learn something new about humanity, mm -hmm. which I find fascinating. I think my the the series I did whenever I do a serial killer, I like to do more than one episode and I don't do it in a listicle format because right. I think that it's kind of gross. If yeah. you do that, and you're like, here's the top five things you need to know about Jeffrey Dahmer. Like, gross. Shut up. <laughs> so, yeah. So I um I try to I try to be a little bit more thoughtful with those things. And I, I find something new about humanity every time. And like with. Carl Panzram, I learned so much about the penal system and how much work there is to do with the penal system in that. So I found a lot of education through it for myself. I think that that's a, that's a good thing to because you're not necessarily glorifying these people. Mm -hmm. I like that you said that uh, you learned something about humanity and maybe the 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 social and cultural oppression that led to some of these circumstances i mean evil acts are evil acts regardless sure. but like it definitely gives us more context about the world they came from absolutely yeah. i mean like i can't say that absolute evil doesn't exist i mean there are right. some people that they just h.h H. holmes right who had every opportunity to be good um but and to do good to be a doctor right. to do all that but he chose absolute evil Hitler absolute evil but then you then you look back I mean like I'm a Jew so it's really difficult for me to say this but you look back and you see somebody like Hitler and you you through all of the work that I've done you see a deeply oppressed man who couldn't figure out how to express himself right and lashed out against the world right of course that's not the way to express yourself but that we, is yeah, definitely yeah. not the way to express yourself yes, yes. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think I think it's really fascinating. I really hate it when people glorify these people. I think it's disgusting. And I think that there's a huge misunderstanding between being um, fascinated by something right. and to derive education from something and uh, to worship something. No, I, I, I definitely agree. I think that there is, as you said, uh, socio sociological lessons that we can learn from studying these things. But there is a very interesting subculture that I, too, have never understood where it's just like, wow, I'm like into this because it's cool. No, it's not cool. That's that's not the approach you need to take with this. Well, but it, a lot of women that I've spoke to that I, I know somebody who was pen pals with Richard Ramirez. Okay. 
And um, I'll never understand her, to be honest. Right. I, I, I I want to and I try to, but it and I end up getting angry and walking away usually because like it angers me. Like they killed, they they murdered people. Like right. that's not cute. You, women don't just like bad boys. Like that's not yeah. That's not the excuse that a lot of people will give. Like, well, they were just misunderstood. You're right. Mm-hmm. You're totally right. They were misunderstood. That does not mean that you should empathize with them. Right sympathize and understand that there are lessons to learn from that with the living humans around you right but maybe take those lessons and bring them elsewhere and not you know put all your empathy in the richard ramirez basket what i do really think is cool about i mean there are many things i think are cool about dark five but what I, i think is really awesome and you brought this up at the top of the conversation when you talked about just the curation of Snarled, but then of course Dark Five comes from that, is that you created uh, a platform to discuss real life horror, true crime, fictional horror, uh, you know, folklore horror. I, I recently just rewatched your uh, your Dark Five about Krampus. Uh, <laughs> Krampus, yes. And um, you, you curated it for discussion amongst 13-year-old girls, yeah. an audience that doesn't necessarily get considered always when making genre or horror content because you, probably as a 13-year-old girl, were not seeing stuff that was made for you. Right. And I also felt talked down to a lot. Right. I think that there's, I really like kids. Like, I really, really like kids. I think that they're fascinating and mm-hmm. I think that they're um, underappreciated in a lot of ways. Right. And um Usually when people speak to children, they think that they need to speak to children. Right. But they're not. They're speaking to growing humans. Right. And so if you speak to them, they'll let you know if they don't understand. That's the thing that I learned. Always speak your truth. Always speak in complete sentences and say exactly what you mean and make sure that what make sure you're thoughtful about it first, but say exactly what you mean. If they don't get it, they'll tell you. They'll let right. you know. And that's what a great opportunity to learn something. And yeah, I I saw this community of of teens, of girls who were growing into who were growing into women and the last thing they needed was to be spoken to like children. Right. Because how like how arresting. Right. So yeah, that was important to me that I was able to and that was a discussion I had a lot with cuz Snarled was funded, so there were people looking at what I did. Right. And so there's a lot of conversation like do you think this is healthy mm-hmm. to put out there? To you know what our demographic is, is this yeah. healthy for for them? And I had to fight constantly. Yeah, it is. It is healthy. I think that the less the the more you suppress language, the more suppressed people become. Right. So, like, yeah, these children, they know. They they understand more than they're capable of expressing. And what I think is really great is here's something you believed in and you fought for. And I, I don't think it's unfair to say that Dark Five kind of was like the breakout hit of snarled because from snarled you you're also you can watch dark five on amazon uh prime right now like any uh and uh i think that you also have some uh new news about dark five coming i do yeah so uh dark five is back after a long hiatus some corporate bs but (laughs) um after about a year and some change, Dark Five is back on the 17th as a long form interview show and podcast. And I'm excited to have you on. I would I'm be making honored. that decision for you. Well, thank you. Yes. <laughs> okay, good. 
so how exciting to have Dark Five back. Uh, and um, I look forward to hearing that. Now, your work in the world of horror, as as we have discussed, is multifaceted. And um, we have talked a little bit uh, about the, this entity that I'm about to bring up in a, in a second. But you also said that a lot of your work these days is behind the camera and producing things. And you have been doing that a lot uh, recently with Gamma Ray TV, mm-hmm. of which you are one of the creative forces behind. Oh, thanks. So uh, why don't you tell uh, listeners a little bit about Gamma Ray and um, what you're doing over there? Because there's a lot of there's a lot of genre content, not just horror, but stuff for people who like comic books and sci-fi and fantasy and all sorts of cool ephemera. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm kind of the people person at Gamma Ray. Like I like to find the people and find the ideas and make the thing happen. And so um, I'm a producer there. It is a it it's a channel for fans. Yeah. And that's and we tried to make it as broad as possible because we are fans of a lot of things. And we naturally, because of my co-producers, Brian and Ian, we're all kind of genre fanatics and specifically with horror with horror. So we've kind of we dove into that a little bit more than other things, but we have things that are like the fighting show, which, uh, which shows you fight choreography and different pieces of media and IP and kind of how that relates to fighting style in the real world. Um, I have an interview show called speed dating, which is just kind of some bullshit, but it's really fun. (laughs) And then we have a show coming up, uh, in the new year about aliens with Henry Zabrowski from last podcast on the left. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably been in the works for like, I don't know, like seven months. I don't Hollywood baby. But yeah, no, it's a really fascinating channel for me specifically too, because like I'm coming pretty much exclusively from the wrestling and spooky world. Right. And (laughs) <laughs> the fandom world is a whole nother monster. Like it's it's really wild. People oh. are sensitive about their shit. Boy, don't I know it? Because yeah. that's that's the space I live in. <sighs> uh, but no, it's and I'm very happy to say that Rachel uh, and I have worked together. Uh, one of the reasons that I wanted to have her on the show to kick off the year. Um, for uh, longtime listeners of Dead for Filth, you may recall back at Comic Con uh, 2018 this year, we did a live episode where we partnered with Gamma Ray and Skybound. Uh, And uh, here at Reverie, we did uh, the live um, episode of Dead for Filth with Erlinger Torridson and Jacqueline Chesson. And that all happened because of Rachel. Rachel uh, was uh, listening to the show and she's like, we want to do this live at Comic-Con. And I was like, that sounds scary, but I want to do it. And uh, so we got to do that because of you. Well, no, we got to do it because of you. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I'm so happy that you were able to do that. And that was a highlight for me for sure oh it was so much fun and then um rachel uh is one of the producers of history of fright which is a show that i host uh i'm sure that i've talked about before with the monsters and sent it to so many people (laughs) whenever anybody's like oh i kind of like horror i'm like okay cool i have something for you for your for your education Uh, out there educating the children that's you oh wow truly well thank you thank you um (laughs) So, Rachel, tell me, like, what is coming up? What are you working on that you're excited about? And just, you know, Dark Five, obviously, is a podcast. But what's what's new and beyond? Wow. Um, well, no, I'm doing a lot of I'm doing a lot of thinking about Dark Five, honestly, mm-hmm. uh, because I want to take it to a place I haven't gone. I did 90 episodes of it. So that's a lot of stuff. And I'm trying to figure out a new place to take it. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of pondering about that and I am going back to school to get my master's cool. uh, in criminology and 
psychology yeah so you know that's kind of on the nose isn't it i love it though <laughs> i kind of like now want a weekly pr- uh, procedural like where you're solving crimes Honestly, I would be so bad at that. <laughs> I get, I'm so excitable. That's my problem. I'm really trying to like reel back how excitable I am, but mm-hmm. I jump to conclusions, which is something that I've been told from my master's course that I do. Right. They're like, oh, no, no, no. You can't just decide somebody's a murderer. You got to prove it. I'm like, but don't you feel it? I'm much more of a vibes person, which gotcha. is not great in the world of law. Right. So I'm going to be a menace. I don't know what I'm going to do with that degree if I ever get it but but I think that's exciting furthering your education is always a good thing yeah 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 I have a lot of like I have a lot of lofty goals I want to start when I when I was in college I did a program um where I taught um sex and identity to children Mm -hmm. um as a part of a supplemental program for sex education because sex education is very clinical and doesn't deal with gender identity or sexual fluidity or you know shame and media and all of that kind of stuff so kind of one of my big goals for 2019 is to start um to start back the organization that I had back in Chicago that trains these teachers on how to speak to their to their kids about gender identity about um issues with sexuality that because the thing is, is that when you're a teacher, like I, I always wanted to be a teacher. I, I no, I can't really. Right. I don't think I can. But um, they have the most precious job in the world. Like they're parents, part two. Right. So um, it's important that they understand how to speak to the kids that are in their class for most of their life um, on the issues that will inevitably arise and how to how to see an issue before it becomes a problem. You know. Right. I think that's uh, that's a really great path, uh, and and I'm glad that you um, are out there sharing your knowledge in that way too, because um, I don't know that many people would you know be in a classroom teaching <laughs> these these things, but I, I I just love your passion for all of this. Thank you. Yeah, I mean. That's one thing I really learned through Snarled was that like ah man kids are great like I just I just want them I just I want everyone to know that it's okay to be exactly how you are right um, which is not a message I think there's a lot of mes- messages of empowerment be strong be this be that be that but if you're constantly telling somebody to be something right. you're also telling them that they're not that thing. True. No, and I think that's it. You know, it's a matter of uh, when we talk about pride, not not specifically like you know rainbow pride, but right. like but pride in the general sense. Uh, I always say, you know, the message should be that you're important mm. and that you're valid and that you're loved for who you are. And you know, there are, there are battles to fight and hills to climb, but you got to start with you because if you are not happy with you then what's it what what are we doing yeah you got to choose yourself yeah um yeah and i think that that like that is it's representative of people who are fans of the horror genre people who are fans of professional wrestling people you know, people like that they choose themselves because they understand that they can't be any other way right um, so yeah, that's important to me too. Those are my kind of people. Yeah, same. Uh, so I always like to ask, uh, when we have people on, have you seen anything recently that you enjoy or inspires you? Yes. Oh, yes. I'm watching Happy on Sci-Fi. I don't know about this one. Oh, 
It's so good. I, I love it. It's Chris Maloney. Okay. Um, who is wonderful. Big fan. Huge fan. Yeah, yeah. So he plays a former cop who um, I haven't gotten far yet. I binged it, but I only binged like six episodes, so I'm still working on it. But something happened when he was a cop that people perceived him as dirty or something, and he decided to leave the force on his of his own volition mm-hmm. and became a hitman. He was doing a hit and then he died for a second. This is not spoilers. This is all like first five minutes shit. Gotcha. Um, died for a second, came back to life, and there was a... This really cute cartoon blue unicorn voiced by Patton Oswalt um, there with him as an imaginary friend. And he was like, what? I just, um, you know, I must be my brain. Oh, no. Right. Uh, Turns out that I'm not going to spoil too much, but it turns out that that unicorn was the imaginary friend of a young girl who was kidnapped by uh, somebody in a Santa costume costume quote unquote oh right. there's so much to know um but yeah so that this that, sounds bananas it's absolutely insane and i truly and it's so gritty mm-hmm. like it's so dark and it's so real and then this like the animation style is not real it's like very 2d it's right. very nickelodeon like it's not it's bizarre and it's amazing and it's all on netflix wow i'm gonna have to check that out please do uh, and I love Chris Maloney. Me too. Like I've always, I don't know, I have like uh, a long term like crush. I think that makes a ton of sense. He's also hilarious. Do you follow him on Twitter? Yeah. Oh boy, do I. He's, He's so like funny. one of my favorite Twitter accounts. He just uh, he like uh, I like someone who uh, is self-effacing. He makes fun of himself all the time, um, but he just also seems charming. Yeah. 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 I like him. This uh, de- episode of Dead for Filth is brought to you by the Chris Maloney fan club. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I know. We I just... wish it was brought by Cl- Chris Maloney. Do you think that he would like me? Like, do you think that if we met, he would be like, yeah, let's date? Yeah, sure. I Thank th- you. <laughs> I, I do. Um, I think that you both have great energy. and uh, <laughs> That's all you need. That is all you need. You got to like, and you know what? I think that you uh, both are sexy, funny people. You know what? I take that back. I don't even want to date Chris Maloney. I just want him in my life, you know? Right. How creepy. Imagine if you're Chris Maloney and you hear this. And okay, well, like, first, I hope Chris Maloney is listening to Dead for I know, Fellas. me yeah. too. Me too. He's a big fan, I've heard. <laughs> but um, through me wiretapping his phones. But, like, do you ever think about that? Like, whenever I talk about celebrities and then I think back on it, I'm like, what if somebody was talking about me like that? How gross and creepy. So I'm sorry, Chris. Yeah, it is sort of bizarre when you think about it. I like your work. Um, I like, okay, I like I like that kind of pivot where it's like, I, it's, not, it's not that you want to date that person or you're like being less, it's just like, you want to like maybe have lunch with them. Yeah. That's cool. That's kind of like that. That's a good, uh, you know, what celebrity would you like to have lunch with? A very standard like Esquire magazine article question. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and uh, for this week's purpose, it's uh, Chris Maloney brought to you by the letter A, the, num- <laughs> <laughs> the number two, a grant from Mellon Bank and viewers like you. Honestly, let's get him on the show. Oh, I would love that. Um, well, he's done horror. They, and he's doing it. Yeah. And he would, you know, and we uh, we definitely could talk about his butt in Oz. There, I'm the one that's being creepy now. I'll so, talk about so. his butt. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Oh my! What a journey we have been on this day, from representation to body positivity to uh, Chris Maloney's can. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, that's kind of a funny. That's funny because of the can also from What Hot American Summer. Yeah, we he had sex with that can. We uh we like a, a pop culture reference. Wow. On this show. 
I'm I was exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Rachel, where can people find you? You can find me all over the internet at Rachel Sam Evans or Rachel Sam Vans. It depends on how your brain works. Um, and yeah, please check out Dark Five on the 17th. It'll be a podcast, and you can also see it in video podcast form on Snarled on YouTube. That's exciting. I'm so excited Thank for you. Dark Five to come back. And uh, it was just such an honor to start 2019 with you uh, because you are just doing such great work out there. Obviously, I love working with you. Uh, and I think that you're just a force to be reckoned with in the best possible way. I, I adore you, and uh, thank you for doing what you do for the, the little horror fans and wrestling fans out <laughs> in the world. Thank you for this lovely chat. Thank you. This has been Dead for Filth. I'm Michael Verratti, yours always in glam and gore. Good night, and good luck. Dead for Filth is a Reverie original podcast, executive produced by Aaliyah J. Daniels, LaShawn McGee, Chris Rodriguez, and Damian Pelliccione. The show is produced by Drew Phillips and sound engineered and edited by Josh Perkins. Download the Reverie app and use the code FILTH for 25% off your first three months.